Are you ready for God's word? Amen. Amen. We've been talking about the church. Now, today, I, I debated whether to go this way because when I, when I map out my messages, sometimes I, I have two different possible things that I'm, I've got on my heart. And then as I get closer, I'm asking the Lord, Lord, which one? And I believe this is where he, uh, he really impressed upon my heart to go in this direction. And I'm going to let you know that before I put the, the title up there, this is going to this is going to be one of the most profound messages you can ever hear. I'm not saying this one will be, but the message that, that it covers is one of the most profound you could ever hear. It fills you with hope, peace, calmness, confidence. I mean, it is the reason why we're Christians. And so uh, today we're going to talk about the rapture of the church. Okay, yeah, about, about five of you, five of you really received that, amen. You know, but, but that's the truth. When you say rapture, you know, sometimes people don't really get it as a message of hope. But I want you to think about this with me for a second. If Jesus was coming back tomorrow, you knew he was coming back tomorrow, the rapture was taking, back, taking place tomorrow, would this be your response? Like, hey, what do you got to do tomorrow? Yeah, I got, I got rapture. I got rapture. What are you doing? Oh, you're going to the park? Oh, wow. Yeah, I got got to do this rapture thing. You know, I mean, some of us kind of look at it that way and we have to ask ourselves, what's wrong? What's wrong? You know, if Jesus was coming back tomorrow, we'd be like, yeah, I got to go meet Jesus. You know, a killjoy just constantly about what he can't do and what you, you know, we got to go get holy. We got to go get glorified. I really wish he'd wait till I was like 99 or something. Because I got so much I want to accomplish. And is that our attitude? No. But I want you to search deep in your heart. Because sometimes we may not say it. But what are you living? Do you live excited? And so I want to go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Paul is talking to the church that he planted. Now I want to remind you, last week when we talked about Paul's, that last story we covered, he was in Thessalonica. So he was on that missionary journey where he was planting this church. And so he, he plants the church in Thessalonica and he... Uh, he, he raises it up. That's the, the, the beauty of this. He wasn't there that long. And I want you to make notes of what he covers with a brand new church. Let's, let's start reading. First of all, the New King James titles this, The Comfort of Christ's Coming. The Comfort of Christ's Coming. So this should be comforting to us. Watch this. But I do not want you to be what? Ignorant. Now, the word ignorant it sounds like a pretty emphatic word. If I say, don't be ignorant, does that, does that, is that nice? Not unless, not unless you're really trying to emphasize something important, and he is being emphatic. In fact, the word ignorant comes from the word ignorance, which comes from the word to ignore. 
It means to ignore. So what he's saying is, I don't want you to ignore. Hello, Christians. Come on. He's about to tell us some things that we tend to ignore. He says, I don't want you to ignore, brothers, concerning those who have fallen asleep. I don't want you to be ignorant of the facts about those who have fallen asleep. And when he uses the word fallen asleep or that, that phrase, it means those that have died in our vernacular, in our way of speaking. But he uses the word fallen asleep because they're going to wake up. I do not want you to be ignorant about, the, about concerning those who have fallen asleep, least you sorrow as others who have no hope. He's saying, you're not supposed to sorrow or have uh, mourn for those that fall asleep in the Lord like a non-Christian does. A non-Christian has no hope. They have no idea what's coming on the other side of this life. But we know, we know there's an amazing hope. Therefore, yes, we're going to be sad. Yes, we're going to have sorrow. Yes, we're going to mourn. But we mourn with hope. Meaning, we'll see you again, loved one. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. So I want you to think about this. He's going to bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this, we say to you, by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, will by no means precede those who are asleep. So the ones that are asleep are going to go first. And then us. What is this that's going to happen? For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. With the voice of an archangel. And with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Wait a minute. But he just said, he just said something in, in, in verse 14. Um, even so God will bring, verse 14, God will bring, that, that's go one up, there we go. God will bring, watch right there, what? With him those who What? Now let's go back down. So he's bringing with him him, those who have fallen asleep. But then he says, we will not precede those who are asleep. That means the ones who are asleep, verse 16 now, the Lord himself would descend with the archangel and the what? The dead in Christ will rise first. So those that are asleep are going to rise, but he's bringing with them, him, those that are asleep. What's going on here? Do you remember when Paul says, absent with the body, present with the Lord? Your soul and spirit is with the Lord, but your body's in the ground. Your body's going to raise, going to be raised to life, and your soul and spirit will come down with him and be reunited if you fall asleep prior to his return. The rest of us who were alive, watch, here it is. Then we, verse 17, who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the... Where is this reunion going to take place? In the clouds, in the air. Isn't that beautiful? So do you see what's happening? Those loved ones of us who are with the Lord, absent with the body, present with the Lord, they will be reunited to their physical bodies. But pastor, how can this happen? 
Do you realize that the Lord can speak and galaxies jump into existence? Every molecule stands ready at his command in this universe. So with one word, at that shout, those, those molecules will come back together wherever they are, wherever they may be in this world. Nothing is lost. They will come back together. Your loved one will, will be reunited with his soul and spirit, and he will live forever with the Lord. Those of us who are still alive will hear and see all this happening, and then next thing you know, he'll say, but pastor, 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 I've heard the word rapture is not in the Bible. In the original, it's not, that's a, that's a, a man-made word. Can I tell you, no English word is in the original. No English word. So, so, so what are you saying? No, the, the Greek word is harpazo, which means to be snatched. Come on, how many of you have ever been snatched by your daddy? Oh, yeah, I got snatched by my dad a few times. All I'd hear is, you know, I'd be doing something bad, and then right behind me I'd hear, muy bonito. That means real nice. He'd say, real nice, and then you just knew he was going to grab you. He'd grab me by the arm, and next thing I know, I was getting raptured, amen, <laughs> you know, the truth is it means caught up, snatched, rapidly. The word rapture comes from the Latin because the Greek was translated into Latin and from the Latin to English, and so we have the word in the Latin is rapio. Can you hear the Spanish word rapido? Rapido means Fast. In fact, the Bible says in the twinkling of an eye, we will be caught up to meet him in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Notice what the word says, comfort one another with these words. This should be a huge hope. This should be a sense of comfort. This should be a sense of excitement. This should be a sense of, oh my goodness, I cannot wait. Amen? And I want, to, I want to highlight a couple of things. First of all, it will involve two things. First, the resurrection of the believers who have died and then being reunited with their soul and spirit and the rapture of us believers who are still alive. I want to remind you that we are called to, to know about when this is going to happen. Now, we don't know the exact hour, but we should know the season. We should know the season. In fact, I want to remind you that in Moses, I mean, excuse me, Elijah and Enoch's time, they were raptured. The Bible talks about them being snatched, caught up, taken up to be with the Lord. The Bible also says that the sons of the prophets came to Elisha. Remember, Elijah was the senior. Elisha was his protege. And he says, don't you know that today your master will be taken from you? They knew the day. He would be raptured. And Elisha says, yes, I know. So we're called to have a holy excitement about this being caught up. The Bible also tells us that our heavenly body, our glorified body is going to be amazing. Come on. How many of us would love a new body? Amen. Yeah. Can I tell you? You're going to be able to eat what you want to eat. Be at perfect weight. You're not going to get tired. You're going to be able to 
Not only that, you're going to have a thousand years on this amazing earth that God is going to be ruling over. Jesus Christ will rule from Jerusalem, and for a thousand years, you'll live with him. Some people say, but I have so much to do. I have so much yet to accomplish, so much more to experience. You're going to have a thousand years with an amazing body to get it done. Think about it. If you want to play the guitar, start. Start now. Because when you get that amazing body and you're completely renewed, you're going to be able to play for a thousand years. Write poems, paint landscapes, praise the Lord. And not only that, but the Bible says, according to your faithfulness, you'll be in charge of certain things for God in his kingdom. Some will be given charge over two cities, one city, ten cities, depending on your faithfulness. And so you're going to need this amazing body. The Bible says that Moses' ministry was glorious, so much so that he experienced the presence of the Lord, and they had to veil him. What does it mean to veil him? It means he was so bright, and he was shining so bright that they had to put a sheet over him, something to cover. They said, if you thought that was something, wait until you see the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the glory resurrected bodies that you're going to operate in. You're going to have new eyes. Why? Because you're going to be able to behold the presence of God. With these eyes, you couldn't stand it. You'd be blinded. You're going to be upgraded. I love that. I love the idea of having a new body, be able to leap tall buildings with a single pound. Now listen to what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. If you want to read the entire passage, it's from chapter, it's chapter 3, verse 3 through 18. And then I also reference for you Hebrews 3.3. 3. But I'm going to read one verse for you, and that's the last verse of that passage that I highlighted. And it, it goes as follows. But we all, with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. What image? We're going to have the same glorified body that Christ has. That's what our bodies are going to look like, the one he was given, and incorruptible, unperishable. It's going to be, if you think it's glorious now to be a Christian, it's going to be even greater glory when he returns, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. See, what I want to remind you of, and, and, and let's talk a little bit more about this glorified body. Do you remember when Jesus Christ was resurrected? There's a story. He shows up to his disciples on the road to Emmaus. Emmaus was a place. And he's, they're walking, and the Bible says they're downcast, and they're kind of talking about the events that just happened. That means their Messiah was crucified. And Je Jesus shows up and starts walking alongside them. Can you imagine? Just like, what's up, guys? They don't recognize him. They're so caught up in their grief. Come on, sometimes God is trying to do something right beside us, and we're too caught up in our pity party. And God is saying, I got so much more. So he comes to him and he says, what are you guys talking about? What are these events that you're talking about? And why are you so sad? Can you hear God asking the church that today? Church, why are you so sad? Why are you so downcast? I'm about to return. Get excited. Understand. They say, well, we they start telling him, have you not heard the Messiah was crucified, this and that? And the Bible says he reasons with them and shows them 
from God's word, a greater, see, look, him being there was a revelation, yet the greater revelation is the word of God. The word of God. He could have said, well, look at me, I'm him. You don't have to worry. You don't have to be sad. I've resurrected. I've conquered the grave. He could have started preaching to them and shown them his experience, except he knew that we needed to rely on the word of God. And so from the prophets and the scriptures, he showed them these things had to happen. What does that have to do with us? Because we are in the same place wondering when he will he return. And he's saying, go to the revelation. It's right there. You want to hear something interesting? There was prophecy after prophecy after prophecy pointing to Jesus' first coming. Do you know there's more than double pointing to his second coming? Right here. Oh, there's sign after sign after sign. It's time for us to get excited. And so he, he, he stays and he eats with them. And then he disappears. You know, he, he leaves. And they come back and they tell the disciples, we saw risen savior and they're like yeah right they tell the other guys that we saw the risen savior no he ate with us he go thomas and, and the rest of them we won't believe it unless we touch him so then he shows up and he walks through a wall think about your body think about it you're gonna be able to walk through walls I don't know what that's going to be like, but no more car accidents for us. I can remember one time, you know, I've told you this story before. I was about to get killed. And I felt like my guardian angel, something big, something amazing pulled me back. I ended up 12 foot back. I don't know how it happened. But in my resurrected form, I'd be like, oh, wow. Whew. No big deal. And they say, well, he's a ghost. Oh, no. And he says, and isn't it interesting, one of, his, one of his most popular commands to his disciples is don't be afraid. He says, don't be afraid. I'm not a ghost. You can touch me. You can feel me. I have bone and flesh. Or not flesh, but I have body, material. I'm materialist. I'm not a phantom. Do you hear what I'm saying to you? You're going to have, and then he says, do you have something to eat? And they say, yeah, we got some meat. Come on, hallelujah. Not, we got a salad. <laughs> I know you're getting about that age. You got to watch your weight. You know, we got some kale. <laughs> They're like, no, we've got some meat. And Jesus goes, let's go. Let's grub down. That's, this is Awesome. Come on, how many of us can't wait to be able to eat what we want to eat and celebrate God's goodness? He's made all these good things for us to enjoy. Amen? And so the entire message of the Lord's coming, the entire message of the great day of the Lord is supposed to get his people hoped up. Not hyped up, because hype doesn't last. But hope is built on faith. Hope is the byproduct of faith. First you have faith, then it goes to hope, then it goes to love. As your relationship goes deeper and greater and more intimate with the Lord, you go from not just believing but having certainty in your belief, which allows you to trust his love. 
And the greatest of these is love. But why is hope greater than faith? Because the Bible says that faith, I mean, hope is a certainty. You know. You go, but what do you mean? His coming is supposed to hope me up? Yeah, watch what the Bible says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 3. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself. What does that mean? Just think about it. If you know with certainty he's coming back tonight, how would you live today? How would you live today? Come on. Would you go home from church getting all excited, you know, and then have someone cut you off and you're like, ah, you jerk. <laughs> Catching up to him, you know, swerving. Is that, and, and then like you treat someone on the road that way and then, oh, hi, Lord, I, I, about that. Um, how would you interact with your spouse today if you knew you would meet Christ tonight? How would you interact at work? How would you live day to day? You say, but pastor, you say, pastor, um, yeah, it's impossible to live that way, yet that's what Christ expected, for us to have such a hope that he could come at any moment. You go, but what about the signs? I, I thought we, we had to read the signs and understand. I need you to understand something really, really prominent, really important. There are no signs for the rapture. The rapture, write this down, is signless. What does that mean? The rapture is signless. It means it can happen at any moment. It's imminent, meaning it could take place right now. Right now, and so you have to be ready. You go, okay, well then, if it could happen at any moment, then... Then, and I need to be ready. What are the qualifications? Okay, get ready. I'm going to list 10 of them for you. No, I'm just kidding. There's one. There's one qualification. You want to know what the qualification is? It's right there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 14. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 14 says, For if we believe, come on, what is the qualification to believe? Now, I know that some of you might have a problem with me saying this, but, but just bear with me. I do care. I do care. But I want you to know that when I quote someone or, or talk about someone who, that's not a gospel writer, I don't always agree with everything they say. I may just think that this point is a good point. So just judge me on that point. Does that make sense? Now, the gospel writers, man, we're riding, we're riding all the way together. Amen? And so what I want to talk about is Dr. Jordan Peterson. I happen to think some of the things he says are brilliant. I don't know all the things he says, and I'm sure I don't agree with all of them. But at least on this one occasion, I know that I agree when he was asked, do you believe? And they just kept hammering on, do you believe? Interview after interview after interview. And so I saw a montage of him answering this. And then finally he said, I want to believe that I believe. And then with tears in his eyes, he started saying, no, I want you to understand, because when you believe, when you really believe in God, and you believe this book, when you believe this Bible, that God in the flesh came to this earth, then it means it changes everything. It changes the way I live. It changes my perspective. It changes my priority. It changes everything. So I don't just throw around this casual belief 
No, to believe means it. That's what the Bible's talking about. The kind of belief that says, Lord, I didn't just name you, I didn't just call you my Lord once upon a time, but you are my Lord continuously in every situation, in every circumstance, with everything that takes place. I die to myself, I live for you. Lord, teach me how to live by your word. Teach me how to live by the prompting of your spirit. Oh God, this is important to me. I believe that someday you'll split the sky wide open You'll call me by name and I'll be. And if that's happening, then that's epic. And it's paramount and greater than anything else in this earth. Greater than my business and my family, than my children, than anything. Everything takes second place to that. That's the kind of belief. Okay, so if you believe that Jesus died and rose again. The reason I say it that way, you go, Pastor, you're making it seem like, no, I'm, I'm saying that real belief changes something in you. What's happened in the Christian world today is that people go, oh yeah, I believe, but they live like the world. I don't know if that's saving belief. I don't know. I just know that saving grace changes something in you changes something. Amen? For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. So let's talk about the timing now. You know the qualification. Believe. Have faith in Christ. Be saved. Timing. Now I need you to write this down because I will give you an exact date. And more than likely it won't happen. (laughs) I'm not going to give you a date, of course not, but I am going to tell you that the Lord does talk about timing, but before we talk about timing, I need to explain a couple things for you. Let's say right here where my computer is, is the second coming of the Lord, the great day of the Lord. Where does the rapture take place? After or before or during? Now, I believe the Bible is very clear. Now, this is not a study or a message on where the rapture takes place per se because I could get into point after point after point after point after point sharing with you why I think the Bible is very clear on the fact that the, that the rapture will precede the seven years of tribulation. So I am what's called a pre-trib-er, pre-tribber. There's mid-tribbers, and then there's post-trib. The Bible doesn't give as much evidence for these two. Therefore, I think the Bible speaks very clear on where the rapture takes place. There's no imminence if you know exactly it's mid-trib. You can count to the day if it's mid-trib. If it's post-trib, you'll definitely know. I also believe it's pre-trib because while we the church are in heaven for a week celebrating the marriage feast of the Lamb, God is dealing with Israel. And and coming back to that last week, there's a week of time. A week, when we talk about in prophetic terms, a week is a seven-day, a seven-year period. A year for each of those days. Does that make sense? 
So we use the word decade. A decade is how many years? 10. A week, they use the week, is seven years. Does that make sense? So while we have a week of celebration of the marriage feast of the Lamb, we'll cover this more in a minute, they, uh, God will be dealing with Israel that last week of prophetic history for his people that was described in Daniel. That's the seven years of tribulation. So why am I telling you this? Because all the signs in God's word about his second coming are for this point when he returns after the seven years of tribulation and for the signs after the millennial reign. The millennial reign is a thousand year reign. It ends at the cross over there. Okay? The rapture takes place here. Now let's talk a little bit more about this timing. Because the Bible does say, but of that day and hour, no one knows what? No one knows the day or the hour. But is it possible for us to know the season? I think we are supposed to know the season. Not even the angels in heaven, but my Father only. Now, why is Jesus saying only my Father knows? Because in John 14, the Bible says, in John 14, don't let your hearts be troubled. Why would Jesus say, don't let your hearts be troubled? Many people think that was Sean Hannity that said it. Wow, Jesus is quoting Sean Hannity. No, Sean Hannity's quoting Jesus, right? Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me, in my Father's house. There are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And now I go to prepare a place for you that where you... I am there, you will also be. What is he saying? He's basically reassuring his disciples, which are the foundation of the church. That's the beginning of the church. Right there, his disciples. His disciples would be the start of the church. How do we know that? Because in the book of of Ephesians, the Bible says that the prophets and apostles were the foundation of the church, Jesus being the chief cornerstone. So we build on that foundation. Don't ever call us foundations. There's no foundations. There's one foundation. It's the rock of Jesus Christ by which we build our lives. Amen? Amen. So watch. So the church here is being told by their bridegroom, I'm coming back for you. This is very familiar to Jewish boys because that's what they would do if they were marrying a girl. They would say, sweetie, would you marry me? Yes. Then I will go and prepare a place for us. They would, they would sign a covenant together. His covenant, right? This is the new covenant that I, that I make with you. Didn't he say that at the Lord's Supper? And they would drink of the cup of joy together. And then he would go for two-year period or so and prepare a place on his father's land. Now, why his father's land? Now, you have to remember... The Jewish people were in tribes, and each tribe had an inheritance. Each tribe had an inheritance. And so whatever tribe you were still a part of, you'd go to your father's house, and you'd get your inheritance, and from there you would build. And then when you were done, you would go to your father, and you would say, you would say to your father, I'm done. 
And your father would come and inspect and make sure everything was right. And when he was ready and he thought you were ready, he would say, go get your bride. And then with a shout, you would get up and you would start going through the streets. Now, are you telling me the bride would have no way of knowing when her husband was coming for two solid years? No, they would still be talking. And he would send word, I'm waiting on dad now. It's done. It's almost done. It's done. Any day now. And she would get herself ready. And when she, when she heard that shouting, because she would go, oh, there comes my, my beloved. There comes my beloved. And it was a tradition that his groomsmen and him would go and they would take the bride and they would pick her up and put her on a litter. It's a chair on two poles that never touches the ground. And the groomsmen would bring her, fly her back, it was called, to his house. Do you see how we're going to be flown to meet Jesus in the because we are the bride of Christ. When his work is done, he will let the Father know. And the Father, look, but only the Father knows. So let's talk a little bit more about this timing. But right there it says, but as the days of Noah were, so will the, the coming of the Son of Man. That means there's all kinds of signs. Yes, again, chapter 24 is filled with signs that point to this point, not the rapture. Everyone get that? You say, but pastor, if they point to this point and not the rapture, then how will we know? If the signs are already being fulfilled for this point, don't you think this point comes first? Don't you think you should be ready? Let me put it to you another way. Anyone ever have Thanksgiving sneak up on you? Ever? It snuck up on me last year. I was like, oh my gosh, Thanksgiving is this week. Thanksgiving can sneak up on you, but how about Christmas? When do they start showing signs for Christmas? You're like in June, right? It just gets earlier and earlier. Can I tell you, that's like what we're talking about. Christmas, Thanksgiving. When you see the signs for Christmas, no Thanksgiving's coming first. Amen? Get ready for Thanksgiving. Because you're going to be caught up to meet him in the air. Amen? Knowing this first, here's another sign of the last days. That scoffers will come in the last days. Walking according to their lusts. Do you realize if you ever have a tendency or a, a, even an inkling of scoffing at an end times message, you may be dealing with a sin issue. Notice, why do they scoff? Because they walk according to their own lusts. When you're wrapped up in lust, you don't want the Lord coming. When you're wrapped up in pride, you don't want the Lord coming. When you're wrapped up in unforgiveness, you don't want the Lord coming. When you're wrapped up with bitterness, you don't want the Lord coming. You're not excited about that. Why? Because your heart is being deadened to it. And so you'll go, whatever. No, that's a good litmus test. Amen? So if you feel that, go, oh Lord, prepare my heart for your return. Prepare my heart for your return. Is there something there that's out of whack? Saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since our fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. 
But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand, and a thousand is as one, as one day. See, there's no way of knowing, Pastor, because it could still be thousands of years off. Not necessarily. First of all, he says, don't scoff. When you see scoffers, that's a sign of the Lord's coming. The rapture takes place before, so be ready. Now watch. Hosea chapter 6 verse 2 says, after two days he will receive us, or excuse me, revive us. On the third day he will raise us up. What is this? Go with me to one more verse, a couple more verses. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. For there will be great distress in the land and wrath upon his people. Whose people? Yeah, God's people. And they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Okay? The time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Read with me in Romans eleven twenty five, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has what? Are you with me? Are you sure you're with me? Okay, here we go. The reason why... We're about to see Christ's return is because all the prophecies are being fulfilled. And it has to do with the ending of the church age. The church age is known as the time of the Gentiles. The fullness of the Gentiles, Paul said, has to come in. In the same passages that I just read to you about scoffers and one day being a thousand and a thousand being one, Peter says this, some people think God is slack or lazy, not fulfilling his promises timely, but he's not. He's patient, wanting everyone to come into salvation He has allowed the Gentile world to come into salvation, but there is a closing of the time of the Gentiles, and that closing is the rapture. How do I know this? In Hosea, he's talking to his people. I will revive my people. 2,000 years, his people have been what? Spread apart. Israel has been revived. And then 1,000 years later, after the millennial reign, he will what? Raise them up again. I have prophecy for that too, but you're going to have to trust me right now. What I'm saying to you is this. For 2,000 years, the church has been marching on, but now God's attention is moving back to Israel. How do I know? Because the super prophecy is this. From Ezekiel to Zechariah to all of the prophets point to Israel being back in their land. And Israel is back in their land. The Bible also says, look towards the fig tree. When you see it blooming, you know the season is here. Who is the fig tree? Israel is the fig tree. That generation will by no means pass until what? The Lord returns. That's this point right here. 
The time of the Gentiles is coming to an end. How do we know this? Well, the church age is described right there in Daniel chapter 9. I wish I had put the verses up here. I just decided to say this in first service and I, I uh, didn't get the verses for you, but you can read it yourself. Daniel chapter 9, you can read the entire chapter. Daniel is receiving prophecy about God's people. Something else I need you to, to understand about Daniel. Daniel writes in two languages. Do you know what those languages are? He writes his book. Some chapters are in this language. Some chapters are in this language. Aramaic and Hebrew. Now let me ask you a question. If I wrote in two languages, what would my purpose be? If I wrote in English and in Spanish, what would my purpose be? To reach two audiences. Very good. Yeah, I'm reaching two audiences. So when he writes to in Aramaic, who's he reaching? The Gentiles. How do we know this? Because every prophecy that he writes in Aramaic is by the world, about the world, about Alexander the Great, or about the Medes and the Persians, about Babylon, about all these different um, uh, Gentile empires. But the one he, the, when he writes in Hebrew, it's for the Jewish people. This is one of the chapters he writes in Hebrew. And it says this, he says, 70 weeks, that's seven, a 70, 70, uh, excuse me, 70 seven-year periods for your people and the holy city. Who are Daniel's people? The Jewish people. Who is, what's the holy city? Jerusalem. Okay, now watch this. He says, this is the history that I'm giving you for my people. 70 weeks. 69 of those weeks elapsed and they finished when Jesus came onto the earth and was crucified and rose again. Okay? 69 of those weeks. How many weeks are still remaining? If 69 out of the 70, how many are remaining? I know that's high-level math. Come on, guys. <laughs> One is remaining. Okay? So Jesus comes, 69 weeks, Jesus comes, is crucified, and is resurrected. What starts at Jesus' resurrection? The church age. Isn't that what Jesus said? You will receive power. I'm going to give you authority. He's calling the church forth. The church comes forth, and for the last 2,000 years, we haven't had any prophecy from this Daniel prophecy being fulfilled. Now, Daniel says at the start of the 70th week, there will be a little prince of this world that will rise up, that's the Antichrist. He will rise up and he will do what? The abomination that causes desolation. In chapter 24, Jesus points to Daniel. That's the only prophet he points to by name when they asked him specifically about the end. This date, not the rapture, this date. Why would he answer about this date to his Jewish disciples? Why would he point them to Daniel? Because it's his people, the Jewish people. Even though they would be the start of the church age, 
He says, but not until the time of the Gentiles is complete will you see the fulfillment. So what needs to happen, watch this, for, are you with me? For the Antichrist to step onto the scene and for that last week of the Daniel prophecy, that 70th week to start. What needs to happen? Go in your Bibles. This is where we finish. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. And now know, excuse me, and now you know what is restraining. What is restraining what? You're going to have to catch up with me right here. Because I'm jumping in midstream, but I'm going to make it clear to you in just a second. And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. Paul is talking about the Antichrist. For the mystery of lawlessness, the Antichrist is known as the lawless one is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Watch. Daniel says the Antichrist will step onto the scene. That starts the clock for the last week. What needs to be taken out of the way so that he can step onto the scene? The Holy Spirit and the church is going to be removed, thereby the Holy Spirit steps aside and the Antichrist steps forward. So this is where we finish. How do you know that, Pastor? Because it's right there in God's Word. God's Word said we were given what? Power and authority. It's that power and authority by the Spirit of the living God that keeps the lawless one at bay. It is. Power and authority. When the church age comes to a close and the Spirit of God raptures His church, this world will be devoid of Christians. This is why I told my son a couple of years ago on our way to Colorado, I said, son, are you sure you're saved? He goes, yeah, no, I'm sure. I said, no, 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 Let, let's talk end times for a minute. Because when that rapture happens, and it happens in the twinkling of an eye, you won't be able to ride home to glory on my faith. You won't be able to ride home on mama's faith, or grandpa's faith, or grandma's faith, or anybody else's faith. You're going to have to have your own relationship with Jesus Christ. Because when that day happens, and it's going to happen, I'm certain, I'm certain that it's going to happen. Watch this. You don't want to be on this earth with no Christians. Imagine a world with no light, no Christian influence. We're called to be salt. When the salt is removed, the decay sets in. When the light is removed, the darkness floods in. Some of us like to flirt with darkness. We watch dark things. We put dark symbols up. We, mm -mm. no, 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 no. You don't, you don't want to flirt with darkness. You are children of the light. And so when that happens, that last 
seven-year period that he still owes Israel is going to start. And what are we going to be doing? Well, the Bible says that we will be participating in the marriage feast of the Lamb. Watch this. The marriage feast of the Lamb. Put it up there, Chuck. Revelations. Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the What is the marriage supper of the Lamb? This is where we finish. This is the good news. The church is called to a week-long supper of marriage with Jesus Christ. While he turns his attention back to Israel, the church is going to be in heaven partying it up with him. We're going to escape the wrath. He says that we're not, we're not going to be... Now, I need you to understand this because some people, you got a second, I got one more minute. Some people say, no, you're going to go through it because you need to be purified. Jesus made you pure. You don't have to go through the tribulation to be pure. Well, you need to be made righteous. Jesus made you righteous. You don't have to have the wrath poured out on you. How many of you would pour out wrath on your your, uh, future bride-to-be just to make sure she was worthy? No, she wasn't worthy. Jesus made her worthy. Amen? Jesus made you worthy. So we're going to be raptured, but you got to make sure. you got to make sure what? Well, there's those 10 qualifications. <laughs> I'm just kidding. There's one qualification. Believe. Believe what? Believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. So if you're here today and you want to be certain... I'm going to ask you to just profess your faith. Say, Lord, I believe you. And I pray, God, that you would, by the power of your Holy Spirit, fill me and change me like only you can. Fill me and change me. Recreate me. Maybe you've already made that prayer, but you're here today and you just feel a sense of, I need to be ready. I need to be prepared. I'm gonna tell you the best way to do that is to have a conversation with the Holy Spirit that lives in you if you're saved. Say, Holy Spirit, will you prepare me to see my bridegroom? Please make me white. Make me righteous in your righteousness. Teach me to walk in a way that would be pleasing to my King. Each and every day, Let me have a holy expectancy that this could be the day that I may be purified by the hope in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, for your body that was broken and your blood that was shed. Your bride comes and says, thank you. We love you. May you come quickly. Church, have a great, great week. I love you.